0: chapter seventeen of wieland or the transformation an american tale by charles brockton brown this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seventeen i had no inclination nor power to move from this spot for more than an hour my faculties and limbs seemed to be deprived of all activity the door below creaked on its hinges and steps ascended the stairs my wandering and confused thoughts were instantly recalled by these sounds and dropping the curtain of the bed i moved to a part of the room where any one who entered should be visible such are the vibrations of sentiment that notwithstanding the seeming fulfilment of my fears and increase of my danger i was conscious on this occasion to no turbulence but that of curiosity at length he entered the apartment and i recognized my brother it was the same wieland whom i had ever seen yet his features were pervaded by a new expression I supposed him unacquainted with the fate of his wife, and his appearance confirmed this persuasion. A brow expanding into exultation I had hitherto never seen in him, yet such a brow did he now wear. Not only was he unapprised of the disaster that had happened, but some joyous occurrence had betided. What a reverse was preparing to annihilate his transitory bliss! No husband ever doted more fondly, for no wife ever claimed so boundless a devotion i was not uncertain as to the effects to flow from the discovery of her fate i confided not at all in the efforts of his reason or his piety there were few evils which his modes of thinking would not disarm of their sting but here all opiates to grief and all compellers of patience were vain this spectacle would be unavoidably followed by the outrages of desperation and a rushing to death for the present i neglected to ask myself what motive brought him hither I was only fearful of the effects to flow from the sight of the dead. Yet could it be long concealed from him? Some time and speedily he would obtain this knowledge. No stratagems could considerably or usefully prolong his ignorance. All that could be sought was to take away the abruptness of the change, and shut out the confusion of despair and the inroads of madness. But I knew my brother, and knew that all exertions to console him would be fruitless. What could I say? I was mute, and poured forth those tears on his account, which my own unhappiness had been unable to extort. In the midst of my tears, I was not unobservant of his motions. These were of a nature to rouse some other sentiment than grief, or, at least, to mix with it a portion of astonishment. His countenance suddenly became troubled. His hands were clasped with a force that left the print of his nails in his flesh. His eyes were fixed on my feet. His brain seemed to swell beyond its continent. He did not cease to breathe, but his breath was stifled into groans. I had never witnessed the hurricane of human passions. My element had, till lately, been all sunshine and calm. I was unconversant with the altitudes and energies of sentiment, and was transfixed with inexplicable horror by the symptoms which I now beheld. After a silence and a conflict which I could not interpret, he lifted his eyes to heaven, and in broken accents exclaimed, This is too much! any victim but this and thy will be done have i not sufficiently attested my faith and my obedience she that is gone they that have perished were linked with my soul by ties which only thy command would have broken but here is sanctity and excellence surpassing human this workmanship is thine and it cannot be thy will to heap it into ruins here suddenly unclasping his hands he struck one of them against his forehead and continued wretch who made thee quick-sighted in the counsels of thy maker deliverance from mortal fetters is awarded to this being and thou art the minister of this decree so saying wieland advanced toward me his words and his motions were without meaning except on one supposition the death of catherine was already known to him and that knowledge as might have been suspected had destroyed his reason i had feared nothing less but now that i beheld the extinction of a mind the most luminous and penetrating that ever dignified the human form my sensations were fraught with new and insupportable anguish i had not time to reflect in what way my own safety would be affected by this revolution or what i had to dread from the wild conceptions of a madman he advanced towards me some hollow noises were wafted by the breeze confused clamours were succeeded by many feet traversing the grass and then crowding into the piazza. These sounds suspended my brother's purpose, and he stood to listen. The signals multiplied and grew louder. Perceiving this, he turned from me and hurried out of my sight. All about me was pregnant with motives to astonishment. My sister's corpse, Whelan's frantic demeanor, and at length this crowd of visitants so little accorded with my foresight that my mental progress was stopped. The impulse had ceased which was accustomed to give motion and order to my thoughts footsteps thronged upon the stairs and presently many faces shewed themselves within the door of my apartment these looks were full of alarm and watchfulness they pried into corners as if in search of some fugitive next their gaze was fixed upon me and betokened all the vehemence of terror and pity for a time i questioned whether these were not shapes and faces like that which i had seen at the bottom of the stairs creatures of my fancy or airy existences my eye wandered from one to another till at length it fell on a countenance which i well knew it was that of mr hallet this man was a distant kinsman of my mother venerable for his age his uprightness and sagacity he had long discharged the functions of a magistrate and good citizen if any terrors remained his presence was sufficient to dispel them he approached took my hand with a compassionate air and said in a low voice where my dear clara are your brother and sister i made no answer but pointed to the bed his attendants drew aside the curtain, and while their eyes glared with horror at the spectacle which they beheld, those of Mr. Hallett overflowed with tears. After considerable pause, he once more turned to me. My dear girl, this sight is not for you. Can you confide in my care and that of Mrs. Baton's? We will see performed all that circumstances require. I made strenuous opposition to this request. I insisted on remaining near her till she were interred. His remonstrances, however, and my own feelings shewed me the propriety of a temporary dereliction louisa stood in need of a comforter and my brother's children of a nurse my unhappy brother was himself an object of solicitude and care at length i consented to relinquish the corpse and go to my brothers whose house i said would need mistress and his children a parent during this discourse my venerable friend struggled with his tears but my last intimation called them forth with fresh violence meanwhile his attendants stood round in mournful silence gazing on me and at each other i repeated my resolution and rose to execute it but he took my hand to detain me his countenance betrayed irresolution and reluctance i requested him to state the reason of his opposition to this measure i entreated him to be explicit i told him that my brother had just been there and that i knew his condition this misfortune had driven him to madness and his offspring must not want to protect her if he chose i would resign Wheeland to his care but his innocent and helpless babes stood in instant need of nurse and mother and these offices i would by no means allow another to perform while i had life every word that i uttered seemed to augment his perplexity and distress at last he said i think clara i have entitled myself to some regard from you you have professed your willingness to oblige me now i call upon you to confer upon me the highest obligation in your power permit mrs baynton to have the management of your brother's house for two or three days then it shall be yours to act in it as you please no matter what are my motives in making this request perhaps i think your age your sex or the distress which this disaster must occasion incapacitates you for the office surely you have no doubt of mrs baynton's tenderness or discretion new ideas now rushed into my mind i fixed my eyes steadfastly on mr hallet are they well said i is louisa well are benjamin and william and constantine and little clara are they safe tell me truly i beseech you they are well he replied they are perfectly safe fear no effeminate weakness in me i can bear to hear the truth tell me truly are they well he again assured me that they were well what then resumed i do you fear is it possible for any calamity to disqualify me for performing my duty to these helpless innocents I am willing to divide the care of them with mrs Baton. i shall be grateful for her sympathy and aid but what should i be to desert them at an hour like this i will cut short this distressful dialogue i still persisted in my purpose and he still persisted in his opposition this excited my suspicions anew but these were removed by solemn declarations of their safety i could not explain this conduct in my friend but at length consented to go to the city provided I should see them for a few minutes at present, and should return on the morrow. Even this arrangement was objected to. At length he told me they were removed to the city. Why were they removed, I asked, and whither? My importunities would not now be eluded. My suspicions were roused, and no evasion or artifice was sufficient to allay them. Many of the audience began to give vent to their emotions and tears. Mr. Hallett himself seemed as if the conflict were too hard to be longer sustained something whispered to my heart that havoc had been wider than i now witnessed i suspected this concealment to arise from apprehensions of the effects which a knowledge of the truth would produce in me i once more entreated him to inform me truly of their state to enforce my entreaties i put on an air of insensibility i can guess said i what has happened they are indeed beyond the reach of injury for they are dead is it not so my voice faltered in spite of my courageous efforts yes he said they are dead dead by the same fate and by the same hand with their mother dead replied i what all all replied he he spared not one allow me my friends to close my eyes upon the after scene why should i protract a tale which i already begin to feel is too long over this scene at least let me pass lightly here indeed my narrative would be imperfect all was tempestuous commotion in my heart and in my brain i have no memory for aught but unconscious transitions and rueful sights i was ingenious and indefatigable in the invention of torments i would not dispense with any spectacle adapted to exasperate my grief each pale and mangled form i crushed to my bosom louisa whom i loved with so ineffable a passion was denied to me at first but my obstinacy conquered their reluctance they led the way into a darkened hall a lamp-pendant from the ceiling was uncovered and they pointed to a table the assassin had defrauded me of my last and miserable consolation i sought not in her visage for the tinge of the morning and the lustre of heaven these had vanished with life but i hoped for liberty to print a last kiss upon her lips this was denied me for such had been the merciless blow that destroyed her that not a lineament remained i was carried hence to the city Mrs. is how it was my companion and my nurse why should i dwell upon the rage of fever and the effusions of delirium carwin was the phantom that pursued my dreams the giant oppressor under whose arm i was for ever on the point of being crushed strenuous muscles were required to hinder my flight and hearts of steel to withstand the eloquence of my fears in vain i called upon them to look upward to mark his sparkling rage and scowling contempt all i sought was to fly from the stroke that was lifted then I heaped upon my guards the most vehement reproaches, or betook myself to wailings on the haplessness of my condition. This malady at length declined, and my weeping friends began to look for my restoration. Slowly, and with intermittent beams, memory revisited me. The scenes that I had witnessed were revived, became the theme of deliberation and deduction, and called forth the effusions of more rational sorrow. End of chapter 17